We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Before you guys listen to another episode of the Corner Podcast, make sure you guys show your support for the show by clicking on patreon.com slash the corner podcast and showing support for both Andreas and myself. We're trying to bring you guys exclusive content for the new year. That means exclusive shows, guest interviews, fan appreciation episodes, a little bit of everything on a weekly basis. And the way you get that is by signing up on patreon.com slash the corner podcast. There's different tiers, whether you guys want to donate $5, $10, or $15 a month. You guys get exclusive content and access to us, yes, both Andres and I, every single week. And this way, we can bring you guys the stuff that you want, such as merch, live shows, and even bigger episodes of The Corner Podcast in 2019. Thank you guys for your support. Now let's get into this week's show. We're here. What up, everybody? Another week, another episode of the Corner Podcast. Kel Dansby here with the old man Andreas Hale. Uh, I guess I got a new nickname, and that's the Human Hot Take Machine. So, listen, <laughs> I'm not mad at it. I'm not mad at it. Uh, <laughs> the hot takes aren't slowing down. At, at all. Um, that to pimp a butterfly hot take will live on in infamy for the rest of my life. And I'm never backing down from that. Um, talking about that, though, and wow, that's hot takes. We're talking music today in a little while. Uh, on the show, we have Little Brother album that seemingly came out of nowhere for everyone, maybe except for the old man Andreas Hale. Yeah. And then we have Rhapsody's album coming out as well this weekend. So a lot of good music hitting 
the iTunes or title, wherever you listen. So we're going to touch on some of that. Um, we're going to touch on, of course, this Popeyes versus Chick-fil-A debate that has just gone crazy online. We're going to try to get to a little bit of Spider-Man leaving the MCU and in combat sports. Right now, it's all about McGregor. We're going to let that simmer a little bit. Might mention him, maybe, a little bit. But we had UFC to cover and a huge heavyweight fight. WWE has made some major adjustments, uh, and it looks like those aren't slowing down at all. We'll see if you are optimistic. I think I know which way we're going in that direction. And then, of course, boxing has shaken stuff up a little bit as well. To start off, though, Dre, we had a huge announcement this week. And that is Wrestling With Stereotypes 2, as people know, is going down at StarCast 3. And we announced the full roster of guests that we will have. And it is a packed show. Yeah. You can go ahead and run down the list. Yeah, let me let me check this out. So we have Sunny Kiss, AEW, Nyla Rose, Big Swole, Scorpio Sky, uh, Alexis Lowfoot, shout out, uh, running the merch game right now. And then we have Private Party, who I can't wait to speak with. Uh, these two young brothers are crushing it in ADW. ADW uh, Mega Ran is on the show. Uh, Fred, who is formerly Darren Young, is on the show. Uh, Ron Funch is, is on the show, which a lot of people are interested in getting his takes. Because that man might have more hot takes than me when it comes to professional wrestling. So, <laughs> I mean, a lot and, of people Ron's comedian on top of that. Ron is, I mean, <laughs> Ron is comedian. So he's good. I mean, he did get high and watch wrestling with uh, X Pac at the last Starcast. So it was actually, that's, he was a funny one because I didn't even really think about it until Conrad mentioned him to me. He was like, I think Ron should be on the show. And I was like, I didn't even think he'd want to do it because, you know, Ron's a star. Yeah. But, um, Nah, I emailed him and he immediately was like, yeah, (laughs) he's a wrestling, he's a nerd. He's one of us, man. So it's good to have him on the show as well. That's going to be fun, man. Um, I think I got everyone. I don't think I missed out on everyone. Everyone has such a unique story, such a dynamic story coming in um, from, you know, people on the entertainment side, like you touched on with Ron, Um, Mega Ran being a huge wrestling fan, transitioning that into his music. And even doing performances and getting in the ring and taking bumps, which I can't wait to ask him about. Like uh, we saw in New York when he was at the ROH New Japan show and uh, mm. took a bump from Bully Ray. And it's crazy how, you know, being a nerd transitioned to actually being in the ring and being able to live out some of your dreams. Um, Alexis, on a similar note, is out there pushing her own merch, doing kind of a grassroots movement. And we always talk about, you know, telling our story and getting more of our influence into the the world of pro wrestling and she started that herself she has her her little crew they go to all the all the big shows um, the wrestle bays the wrestle bays yes they they walk around to all the shows and everything so man they kind of started their own little movement so that's interesting to see and they have one hell of a following um and then on the wrestler side of course we scorpio sky man i feel like he's been around forever multiple promotions uh, SCU right now, um, this tag team tournament's wrapping, like ramping up. So it'll be interesting to see where they fall, uh, see if they pull off this kind of new day rule going into that tournament. So he has probably the most momentum of his entire career 
right now. So him joining the show and adding his 20 years of experience is, is crazy. And then on the flip side of that, Private Party, who are two young guys out here with one hell of a gimmick, just wilding out and living their best life and, and throwing some of the sickest moves in pro wrestling. Like, yeah. they're they're young and immortal, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot. And they got uh, Angelico and Jack Evans at All Out, so it'll be fun to watch those guys. And, I, I mean, this panel, the only unfortunate thing about this panel is, I think, when I went into it, I wasn't necessarily sure how many people would agree to do it. And then it was like, everybody agreed to do it. No, like, <laughs> shit. So, so the biggest task that we've had is trying to make sure everybody gets the opportunity to tell their stories when this 90-minute time frame. And, obviously, we're not going to get as in-depth as we'd like to, as otherwise we'd be here for like three days. But it, I think we're going to touch on it a lot in that, that amount of time. And hopefully um, we get to do this again and again and again. But uh, it, this is just another way to, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot here. And obviously there's going to be people that are going to ask, you know, where's the Mexican representation? Where's the Asian representation? Look, it's hard, man. Like, shit, this was hard. You know, it's hard to get a lot of people, but a lot of people agree. And I was thoroughly surprised. So we we obviously are representing the LGBTQ community. Um, I think that's going to be interesting because we have Nyla Rose, Sonny Kiss, and Fred Rosser, who actually are three completely different uh, spectrums of the same group. So yeah. we we get to kind of talk about their experiences, um, you know, especially when Fred came out being the first active WWE wrestler to come out, and he got cut shortly there after that. Uh, we can talk about that a little bit. Um, but it's going to be a fully loaded show. So if you're coming to Starcast. Uh, obviously, you know, go out of your way to see us. I'm not going to be too busy for anybody. Uh, this is this is really about you guys, and especially those who have rocked with us for a long time. And this is going to be introducing us to a whole new group of people who don't know who we are. Um, That's the craziest thing to see on Twitter, though. Like, the response of people like, yo, this is incredible. I can't wait to watch, or I got to check this out. And people don't know who we are. Or they don't no. know, you know, how we sound on mic and how we get down and how we get busy. And shout out to everyone who supported the first show. And uh, that movement led to this. And everyone who watched the first show knows how much fun that was. Everyone who took place, the wrestlers, um, everyone who supported when they didn't have to. They didn't know anything about this. They they didn't have a tester for this. Um, and they came out and, and they made sure they're there and they showed out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. So that's next week. I, I honestly, I have no idea how we're doing this podcast next week because we're gonna have a lot on our plate. Oh, but, this uh, is next week. Uh, oh shit! Yeah. Yo, that crept up on me. Good, good looks. I forgot. I would just been on a plane, man. I do whatever my calendar says in my iPhone. So I would have yeah. been there, but I forgot that it's just damn a week away. Yeah, we're looking at a week out, so that, it's a big weekend for us. So again, we look forward to anybody that's going to yeah. be watching on fight. We're looking forward to everybody that's going to be involved. Um, and we can't wait. So now on with the bullshit, the podcast that you're here to listen to. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, where do we start? Let's let's pick up on a conversation uh, that's been going on on our Patreon throughout the week. Shout out to the guys from Views from the Seven. Uh, I had them all on a separate Patreon episode, and they're I'm slowly dropping those on our Patreon this week. Really diving into different intricacies of this Jay Z, Colin Kaepernick NFL narrative. I uh, kind of wanted to expand it, so I've kind of put together four different guests. So started with AJ Springer, um, you know, part of Reverse Rat Pack, who's in DC, who kind of knows the political side, and then each one of the guys from Views from the Seven is kind of in a different aspect that they can talk about different things on this. So we talk about uh, the prison complex and the jail 
uh, complex and how it's geared towards uh, locking up minorities. And we talked to Skinny from Views from the Seven, who's been to prison and who's kind of reformed his life. So we get a crazy detail there. Um, Dante from Views from the Seven, who, if you guys don't know, is uh, kind of like the old man here and very into the black movement and tells us why he grew out his locks and what it means to have that that proper kind of, I guess, representation for the black community. And we dive in from that aspect and then uh, talking to Ivan from Views about, you know, just being open as, as part of minorities in the black community and mental health and different issues on that realm of the spectrum uh, that kind of gets, you know, swept under a rug. I wanted to bring a light to a lot of the stuff Colin Kaepernick was talking about and not the negative stuff now that we see pitting people together. I wanted to, to bring each other together in different aspects of the community. So that's on the Patreon. That's rolling out over the next week. That should keep you guys kind of busy next week as we figure out what we're going to do with our show. Um, so shout out to those guys. But I did all this while the old man Andreas Hale had super busy schedule last weekend. So I brought in all these guests, sat down to talk to them. But now we want to hear what you got to say, Dre, because we see... And last week, we wanted this to play out. We wanted to give it time. And the longer we're letting it play out, and it's only been a week, we're seeing more dissension, more people coming out. You know, I'm with Jay-Z's side. I'm with Kaepernick's side. And we're just getting worse and worse into the topic and losing sight of what people wanted in the first place and the message people wanted to get out there. Yeah, I mean, first things first, um, you know, I was one of the people, and I still am, to, to see what happens before we pass judgment on why Jay-Z did this. But that doesn't take away from the fact that this rollout was piss poor. Um, and Jay, for being as calculated as he's been throughout his career, he really fucked this one up in terms of allowing the NFL to control that narrative and not being prepared for the backlash that was surely to come. So that that's where my uh, criticism lies with Jay-Z is because it's not what you did, it's how you did it and, and how it came out. And you, you didn't necessarily give us a plan. And I know there may be one in place, but people are going to ask questions. Yep. And if you're not prepared to answer those questions, people are going to speculate. Now, the thing that I feared about this the entire time, what I said was from the beginning, is how divisive it was going to be from our community. And it seems like it separated us something awful. And on top of that, I mean, we've had the opportunity to see some true colors from some fucking people like Marcellus Wiley. Um, <laughs> He's gone full Whitlock. You never go full Whitlock. It's it's a weird thing because Wiley is a guy who we've kind of seen these little traits of him being a little shady towards the community. And it, it, what he did, he went on his rant on Speak for Yourself talking about, you know, Kaepernick. He, he tried to discredit Kaepernick because of his racial background. He was raised by a white parent, which offends me because my grandmother was a full-blooded Italian white woman, and she's the one who raised me. And that doesn't make me any less black. So when Wiley says that, like, oh, I'm from Compton, it's like, man, shut the fuck up. Like, it really doesn't mean anything. Because you could be a coon from Compton. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can be black in the burbs, and I can still be as black as they can be. So it doesn't really matter where you're from. It's where you're at. And Wiley making his, you know, questioning Kaepernick really showed me his true colors. And while Whitlock's over there clapping him up. So fuck that guy. Um, (laughs) But this whole subject has become one of those things that has divided the community where it is... We're recording this podcast on a Thursday, and this announcement was about a week ago. We've talked about this more than we've talked about any other talk. And when I say we, I'm talking about the community. You can't go on Twitter or Facebook without seeing somebody arguing one side or the other. And that's, that's my greatest fear. Because who wants this more than anybody else? 
the the right wingers, the conservatives, the people that don't fuck with Kaepernick, the people that don't fuck with Jay Z, or, or maybe they do fuck with Jay Z and they're looking at it like, yo, we like Jay Z now. He's dividing you guys. Yeah. So that's that's where we're at. So what what comes out of it is always what I'm going to be curious about because I want to see what Jay Z's plan is. But as of right now, it's not a Jay Z versus Kaepernick thing. That's not what it should be. It should be let's hold Jay Z accountable because I'm questioning this move, but. Let's not make this about Kaepernick or Jay-Z. Let's make it about the community. We're not doing that. And it's partially because of Jay-Z. You know, whatever happened, like people are saying, well, Eric Reed and Nessa. Listen, Eric Reed and Nessa are close to Kaepernick. They can speak out. But when Freddie Gibbs said, you know, fuck Colin Kaepernick, that's the shit that bothers me. Yeah. Why are you saying that shit? But then on the opposite end, we have people like Funkmaster Flex coming out and saying, Jay-Z told Jermaine Dupree not to take the same deal. Which is and, ridiculous. Which is Jermaine, not true. <laughs> would he like Dupree debunked that shit? But Funkmaster Flex is messy as the rest of them. Yeah, like, the misinformation is as bad as the rush to judgments. Everyone now, and that's what I hate. A lot of people's argument was, "Oh, Jay Z told uh, Travis Scott not to perform at halftime last year. He's a hypocrite for taking this." Like, what are the sources? Who vetted these things? Did Jay Z? Do we have a recording? Do we have this on record? Who said that? Or is this hearsay? Like the Funk Master Flex thing. Like, there's so much now, and that's social media day and age today, is where everyone thinks they're a reporter. Everyone thinks everything they read is true and is the facts, and then they spread it. it yeah, it's scary. It's crazy. It's scary. And, so, yeah, it's not, it's not stopping, which is bananas. Well, and, and that's, that's going to continue to be the issue. Is how long are we going to argue about this shit? Because, I'm, frankly, I'm tired of it. So... You know, let's wait and see what happens. But as long as the, the this keeps filtering out, because uh, I don't know what else is going to come out. It feels like there are going to be more things that come out. And hopefully they're positive. But right now, you know, I can't take some of you coon-ass motherfuckers like Marcellus Wiley, like, taking the shit on Kaepernick. I'm not picking sides. Like, I see both sides of this. It, to me, it is truly, a, a in a lesser scale, a Malcolm versus Martin thing. They both had two different methods, and they both criticized each other initially. And hopefully they can figure this out. And be respectful of one another in the long run. Yeah. I, I know there's going to be conflict there, but it shouldn't be up to people like Freddie Gibbs and Marcellus Wiley to provide commentary and shit they know nothing about. So sit back, shut the fuck up, and let it play out. That's the key. It has to play out. If Jay-Z ends up you know, trying to move the narrative in a positive fashion, then both him and Kaepernick move the narrative in a good way. They did it differently. So does Jay-Z say, okay, you know, we're past kneeling? That was stupid. But none of us asked him to kneel. We just asked him to continue the message behind what Kaepernick was kneeling for. Yeah. So, like you said, it was, the delivery was horrible. And that's something you can't go back on. But the execution better be right. And that's, uh, that's wait and see, something we don't know now. Um, and I was in the same boat as you, where I was like, you know what? I'm tired of seeing this all over the timeline. I'm tired of going on Twitter every day and someone has some new information or gossip or rumor or something about it. And then I had a reprieve. And that came through the chicken gods. Dre, tell me you've gotten your hands on this Popeye sandwich. Nah, man, listen, listen. I'm there's not no Popeye's no... by you? I know there's there, a Popeye up there in the birds. There is, but it's fucking Popeye's. Like, listen, man. Ain't there's nothing that's gonna make me run out of my house to go taste it, because it'll be there. And the shit ain't going nowhere. Listen, it's Popeye's. It's fast food. I, I want to try it. Don't get me wrong. Like, I've talked to people that have had it and said it was delicious. 
But I'm not breaking my neck to get a chicken sandwich, dog. That's going to be there in like a few days. And right now, I'm not standing in no long line for a $3.99 sandwich. It was like two, think, $3.99 is the best part about it. I mean, but it's a chicken sandwich. Like, man, look, look I get it. It's fascinating. It's, people are hungry. You want to taste like delicious chicken sandwich. But, like, I'm that guy who says, you know, I want an In-N-Out burger or a Chick-fil-A or something or some whatever it is. And if I drive by and I see a long line, I'm like, it's not that serious. I'll go somewhere else. So when Chick-fil-A first opened in Vegas and those lines were crazy, you didn't go no, like that first one. Dog, I've already had Chick-fil-A. Like, there's, there's no fast food on this planet that I'm going to stand in line for. It's just not happening. Like if I ain't standing to be in line fair, for I line stood in line in a drive-thru. Like I was listening to music and podcasts. I was listening matter. to Little Brother album. Dog, it don't matter. Like it just doesn't matter to me. It's fast food, right? I'm trying to be healthy in 2019. I ain't got to run out and kill myself over a chicken sandwich. That is true. So no, I'm gonna taste it. I'm gonna find it when I'm driving and I pass by a Popeyes. I'm be like, yo, I'm gonna get that chicken sandwich. But this craze is nuts to me. Chicken sandwich. <laughs> Well, the craze is because, one, and we've seen this uh, in various places over the past couple weeks, it just pops up, where people are like, yo, you support Chick-fil-A? Like, you know that they are against the LGBTQ movement and all this stuff, and why do you guys even entertain Chick-fil-A? And I was like, all right, cool. So now Popeyes, who's the opposite of that, Popeyes seems down for the movement, then they come out with a sandwich that kind of puts Chick-fil-A to shame. And Chick-fil-A is still delicious. Like, don't get me wrong. I'll still eat Chick-fil-A. But this sandwich, Dre, this sandwich is a whole different level. The spicy mayo, the bread sops it up ever so well. The pickles, I go with or without the pickles, but the pickles were delicious. It was just something about it. And $3.99. Like, at some point, one of our favorites, Shake Shack, try to jump in the conversation. People like, get your ass out of here. Your chicken sandwich is $10. And I was like, damn, I got to feel that. That's real. This is just next level. And it's a big-ass piece of chicken. When it comes down to it, that's what people like. It's a big-ass piece of chicken. I don't know, man. Like I said, it's a chicken sandwich. I'll try it. Like, Wendy's has a spicy chicken sandwich that's been slapping for years. And no, ain't nobody talking about it like that. No, Jack this shit, it, 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 it's I, a wrap. I, I, Listen, it, I'm, I'm going to try it. Yeah. Like, I'm going to have this. But the thing, for me, the biggest thing is it's not like, this Popeye's all over Las Vegas. I'm going to find it. It ain't going nowhere. Like, yeah. I my, like, my line was the shortest because I'm here in Henderson and there's not too many of our folk over here. Oh, yeah. I'm in so Summerlin. I was like, cool. Yeah, you should be all right. Your line shouldn't be that long. I caught one. Like, I drove past Sahara and like Decatur next to like my TV station. Boy, that line was damn near down the block. That's ridiculous. That's yep. Ridiculous. Cars on cars on cars. There had to be a 45 minute wait in the drive thru. Hell no. It's a chicken sandwich. Chicken sandwich, Dre. And it's 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 so worth it. Um, this makes me think. And I don't know, you were knee deep in, in the 90s. I was a young whippersnapper, but I remember things. Do you remember anything else like hitting like that? Because it can't just be a social media thing, right? I feel like there have been these like waves in food and, and stuff. The only thing I could remember back in the day that really hit like this is... When McDonald's had those Batman cups mm. and everyone wanted like the, the chilled glass joints, it might have been for like the horrible Batman too. Um, or no, it was the one before them with like the Riddler and the Joker and shit. And uh, yeah, and I remember people went crazy for these cups and people still got those. They're worth mad money on eBay. 
Let's see, that's a cup. They didn't care still, about the they food. Were, no, yeah, that shit was like part of some type of grown man Happy Meal. It might have been a normal ass Happy Meal, and people were just buying Happy Meals. This and when Beanie Babies were in actual Happy Meals, people were losing their shit. Yeah, see, that's that's because of the treat that came along with the meal. Like nobody, there's there's very few things that I think people have gone nuts over. The only the only things that I can remember is obviously Chick Fil A opening in Vegas was one of those things that people went to. Um, Krispy Kreme when it first opened had like a crazy. People were chasing it down. But these were like chain restaurants. It was like when Fat Burger first came to Vegas years ago, that line was ridiculous. In and out stayed ridiculous. But in terms of like one thing at a, a fast food restaurant that people went after and went nuts over, I I can't remember anything like this. You see, a lot of that is regional. Cause like in New York, like Shake Shack when it first dropped, like in the middle of the park, yo, and it was only open like lunchtime, that line would be an hour and a half long. But see, that's that's like for the entire restaurant, though, right? Yeah. I mean, we're talking about like one item that somebody launched for a regular ass chain restaurant that you know has this nice little following. Like McDonald's has never had a burger that people were like, "Yo, the triple cheeseburger," and standing in line for like forty minutes for that shit. And I just don't remember that. See, I, yeah, I wasn't. I don't. I think I was too young. I don't remember when like the Big Mac dropped. Like, was that shit like groundbreaking? Uh, oh, that ain't that old shit. That yeah, was a long, long time exactly. Ago. Like, I remember. One thing I remember is when Pizza Hut had stuffed crust for the first time. And I remember, like, I couldn't find, I couldn't get it forever. Like, my mom would try to order it for me. He'd be like, no, we're sold out. And, like, a Super Bowl rolled around. I want to say it's the St. Louis Rams, Tennessee Titans, like, 01, 2000 Super Bowl came around. And I finally got some stuffed crust. And I was eating it backwards, like the commercials and shit. Ooh, I was hyped. That's a specific item. Yeah, I've got nothing. nothing. See, yeah, I feel like people, and it's maybe a social media age, though. Maybe we hype it up now. Maybe before, like, we wouldn't have this groundswell. They say, what, $21 million are generated in revenue off of social media for this? Well, free, I mean, free advertising. A lot of that's yeah, black Twitter, because we've been on it. Yeah, I mean, there are people writing articles about it. I don't know. On one hand, I'm like, well, that's kind of dope. It went viral and it did well. On the other hand, I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with us? Yeah. Like, <laughs> we're getting this excited over a chicken sandwich? Oh, All imagine right. if we did that for Kaepernick. $21 million of free revenue would be pretty good. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, shit, yeah, there, there's challenges. There, there's everything out there. I'm okay as long as this shit was, like, organic and, you know, built from the ground up. If I find out that Popeye's, like, bought influencers... And hoodwinked us, I'm going to be pissed. i still going to like the chicken sandwich, but I'm going to be mad. I'm going to feel a little slighted. Well, they already got this. Yeah. Um, All right. Let's see. We'll keep the nerd stuff to next week. We'll let the Spider-Man stuff play out. Um, Little Brother album drops. And you obviously have been a fan of Little Brother for so long. I remember when we first had... It had to be our second show. We're down at Insert Coins. Th- that night after our second show, Little Brother was in Vegas at Insert yeah. Coins. Mm, that was Foreign Exchange. But Foreign yeah. Exchange. Okay. Um, but I remember like you and Chris from Insert Coins being like, yo, there's a Little Brother show here and blah, blah, blah. Uh, did you put on a Little Brother show as well? I've, I've done uh, three little... I've promoted three Little Brother shows in Las Vegas. I brought them out here... In 2004, I want to say right after the listening drop. Damn. Um, I brought him out here for when I worked at Hip Hop DX uh, NBA All Star Weekend 
we did a show which was headlined by Lupe Fiasco with Little Brother was the second act. Um, and they bodied that shit to the point where people were leaving during Lupe's set. Damn shit. Um, <laughs> and uh, the third time I brought him was the Get Back Tour with Evidence. Um, I think Tashman Alcoholics showed up. Uh, that was a dope show at like, the spot called the Ice House. So um, I don't talk about it much on social media because I don't really talk about who I'm friends with this, in this industry. But I've known... Tay, Pooh, and Ninth for a long, long time. So, yeah, I've known about this Little Brother album for the past six months. Crazy, because it hit everyone else just like, what? Like, maybe we found out on Friday last week, and then it was like, yo, we're dropping it on Tuesday. Which is crazy, because music isn't even dropped on Tuesdays anymore. So that in itself felt super old school. So me getting in the whip, and I, uh, I just got the title like one month membership. I want to see about this audio quality, um, <laughs> which I'm not renewing the shit. Like the shit takes forever to buffer. It's horrible. I got to download music to my phone. I tried it, but whatever. Jay can keep that shit. Uh, but I was listening to the album and I was, you know, just bumping it. And then I saw someone retweet. You didn't even retweet it this time. Someone retweeted an article you wrote a year ago, maybe two years ago almost on is. Vontae top three. Goat worthy. I didn't even say top three. Yeah, goat worthy. The context of it was like Jay-Z, or it was Biggie, Pac, Fonte. Something crazy that, like that. Yeah. That was the tweet, but the article was just, is we should be acknowledging him as one of the greatest rappers of all time. Okay, yes. And I was like, what? And at the point, like, you know, he's just not my personal favorite, but I understand it. Like, um, him and Black Thought are two of those guys where I try to work them into my top ten now. Um, cause I understand like the greatness of them and they kind of like Andre 3000 are in the midst of a lot of group work and when they do break out and do their own shit, it's so dope that you kind of got to recognize it, um, is both and they work themselves into that category. Uh, but I was listening to this album and listening to a lot of commentary from you and other people online and you're like, yo, it's adult hip hop. Like this shit grew with me. And I was thinking, I was like, you know what? I got to put Fonte somewhere in my top 10. And I'm not even like a super huge fan. I was like, but who am I bumping? Am I bumping Royce, Lupe? I, I got some choices there. But man, I can't, can't neglect that. Yo, just his ability to relate his music to everyone is incredible. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a fan and I can't front on it. I'm not like a super fan. Like I, I really respect what he does and his ability. But I was like, yo, I can't front on any of this. Like, he makes it so easy to digest while still being super fucking lyrical and dope that I can't front on. It's very similar to Nas. And then that was my my biggest confliction is I give Nas all this credit. And Nas has been the epitome of up and down and sporadic during his career. His highs are very high. His lows are very low. Fonte has been consistent. That's why I put Royce in my top 10. The consistency is amazing. So am I hypocritical to say, like, Nas is that much better than Fonte? I mean, it's interesting, man. I mean, you know, no, the, the biggest argument is nobody has a nomadic. And that, that's where the Nas conversation yeah. is. The, because, the highs are very high. Yeah, the peak, peak Nas is, like, literally untouchable. Nobody is really touching Illmatic status. It's arguably the greatest hip-hop album of all time. Since then, things have been up and down. Now... I'll say this because, you know, a lot of people would, and this is why I don't say it a lot, because I was a fan of Fonte and Little Brother before I became friends with them. And I've always believed in their music and I've always 
like the first time I heard Tate rap, I was like, this guy's incredible. Like, because he can rhyme, but he's giving me some, it's like the blue collar worker rap. Like he's giving me, you know, and then plus he like, he was the prototype for Drake. And, you know, before Drake was Drake, as many people know, Drake, the, when Drake first got put on, he said his favorite rapper is Fonte. Period. And now look at him. Drake yeah. is giving you those, they're like elite relatable rhymes. Like he used, he used to talk about being depressed and shit like that and emotional. But this is, this is, a, this is a product of Fonte. So I say that to say this, because Tay is a guy who, as he's aged in hip hop, the music has aged with him. And he's not stuck. Like Nas is still rapping about Nas things. Yeah. Right. For the most part, every every now and then, like the life is good album, he'll talk about like where he's at in life. But Tay is really taking us on a journey from just because he's the anti-industry guy. He's never been really into the club. He's never really been into the, the facade of the industry. But as he's gotten older, he started rapping about fucking high blood pressure. He started rapping <laughs> about like sitting alone is like talking about being older and looking at Instagram and being like, yo, I really don't want to do this anymore. You know, he said, like, I'd rather be at home watching Flipper Flop. Like, I'm not into the club scene anymore. But he's done it so well over the years. And the biggest drawback for all those years was Little Brother. You know, the listening, the get back, minstrel show. It was like, it's, it's the same thing, like you said, with Andre 3000. He's part of a group. But after Charity Starts at Home came out, and then uh, No News is Good News came out, he's got two albums now. Biggie yeah. has two albums. And then he's in the new Little Brother album where he completely showed his ass on this album with Big Pooh. So now, for me, it's hard to keep him out. Because what people say is like, ah, I could talk about all these other rappers. Tay's been in the game for 15 years, well, 16 years now. That's a long fucking time to be dope. A lot of cats can't do that. They fall off. They disappear. They have a hard time. Like, Tay has never not been dope. The Foreign Exchange albums, the Little Brother albums, the Solo albums, the Guest Spots. I, if you can name a, a whack Fonte verse, show it to me. I've never heard of it. <laughs> yeah. Consistency is key. Like, the longevity and consistency, that's, I mean... Damn, people put M in the top ten. I put M like fringe top fringe top ten, and he, his five six year run was incredible. It's been ass since. Very end. So I mean, and I'm being generous with the ass. So I mean, you look at someone who's at that level for sixteen years. Um, like I said, it's much like Black Thought in my mind. It's like they're winning the war of attrition. Yeah, and the only my only my only argument against Black Thought is because technically. And there's a, there's a difference, man. I think a lot of people get this part confused. There's a difference between being a dope MC, technically like super lyrical, like Lupe's on that level, like yeah. Black Thought, technically sound ridiculous. But then there's rappers who you can relate to who can make good music, because not everybody who's lyrical makes good music. Tupac has been elite to a lot of people because of his relatability, the passion he put in his music, and his ability to make a good song. Like... Black Thought, his only drawback for me is we don't know who Black Thought is in his music. Like, we know he can rap, but we don't know anything about him. At he's, all. He's like, <laughs> when people say he's the rapping machine, he's like literally like the rapping machine. Like, if you say, yo, he's like an android. He's like the Terminator. Like, you put him in front of a beat, he's going to destroy it. But then you were like, well, who is this guy? That's my only drawback that's ever been about Black Thought. And, and it's like, technically, though, he can't be fucked with. Like, Pharrell Monch? That's a guy who technically ridiculous, but he's not, he hasn't always made the best music. Tay's a guy who's been technically sound has, has, has struck that that unique balance between being relatable, being super dope, and making music that not only men but women can vibe out to as well. It's hard, man. A lot of cats can't do that. Yeah, and you and you look 
a thing that surprised me this week is how many people are championing this album. And there's a genuine like push to get people to listen to this album. You've you've talked about Little Brother. I mean, like I said, since our first day on the show. First day on the show, you you've always been mentioning Little Brother, um, talking about how good the music is. But even all the other albums, the solo project by Fonte, I'd say the last solo project kinda had some buzz. This is by far the most buzz they've had. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's there's there's this thing about Little Brother, and, and I know you guys are like, where's the combat sports? But it's coming. Um, there's this thing about Little Brother for me because when Little Brother came onto the scene, I had given up on hip hop for the most part, and not not given up in the fact like I'm never listening to shit again. But for them, like I was kind of done because everything started feeling the same. It was 2003. Oh, uh, that was the snapping music and shit. Yeah, so this is before, like, the first, like, for those who don't know, the first album review I've ever written in my entire life was Little Brothers The Listening, before it was in retail. It was on OK Player, and that's how I found it. And that rejuvenated my love of hip-hop because Ninth Beats, coupled with their rhymes, like, I, and, you know, the Little Brother name is derived from the Little Brothers of Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul, Jungle Brothers, that's where the name came from. It gave me that feeling again. And when it happened, the thing that happened is... They got signed to Atlantic, and the album should have gotten a five in the source. Fahim Radcliffe, who I talked to over the years, gave the album a five in the source and then left his job because Benzino and Dave Mays told him he couldn't give it a five. He had to give it a four and a half. He left the source <laughs> because of that. That's fucking nuts. So, and that was for the minstrel show. But that, like, Little Brother's the reason why I started writing. Because that, that gave me something to write about. Like, I wanted to write about the Black Star album, but I was just still in college at the time. Like I, but by the time the listening came out, I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. Like, people need to read about this album because I don't know who's hearing it. Jay Z heard Ninth Wonder Beats, ended up doing Thread off of the Black album, mm-hmm. and then things kind of like took off of there from the group. They were like the, the, the best kept secret in hip hop for a long time. So when they broke up, those of us who came up with Little Brother were disappointed because, you know, they had never peaked like they were supposed to. They were that player that, that came out of high school, went to the league, and then got hurt. What, before they got a time to shine. It was before the blogs were hitting like that. It's before all that. So for them to come back, uh, minus Ninth Wonder, which is a whole other story in itself, but to deliver this kind of an album to a generation of hip-hop listeners who have aged with them and needed something that they can listen to that's not little tattoo face this or little blue hair that, <laughs> it meant a lot. So it's like, so that album right now, like I, and the, the great thing about it is because I'm not in the industry like that anymore, I can listen to this album and I don't gotta listen to nothing else. Nothing yeah, else. I can, you can listen just to this sit album. With like, it. Man, it's an incredible album. Um, Rhapsody is coming out. By the time you guys listen to this, Rhapsody should be out. I've heard this album too, and it is exceptional. So, Rhapsody and Little Brother, North Carolina is the shit right now. Rhapsody, Little Brother, and J. Cole? Oh, crazy. Wow. Yeah, I'm not, not mad at it at all. Um, need another J. Cole project though. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's been dropping so many features and shit. It has to be along the way. Um, so that'll be dope. But now nah, it's great to hear this, you know, type of resurgence in good music. Not that everyone went away, but I like that when it gets the buzz it deserves, you know? And this, especially this microwave, super hot, like an album drops every week now. Like shit is so recyclable. I, I like when someone gets this buzz and they keep it going. And for Lil Brother, I hope this... You know, it came out of blue, and I don't know what it holds for them moving forward. But seeing the success and the kind of second life breath that Run the Jewels had and has, 
where they're selling out shows and festivals and people have really got this cult following of Run the Jewels and, uh, you know, Killer Mike and, and just giving him a whole different breadth of his career um, and taking him damn near mainstream, which is crazy. I've seen him in video games and shit and yeah. on movies. So uh, I, I hope that's like a little brother path from here on out. And that's what this buzz leads to. But we'll see. Ninth is a busy man. Definitely. So we'll see um, how that is going forward. Shit's been a crazy opening to the show. 37 minutes. Let's take our break right here. When we come back, let's just do the whole second half of Combat Sports. We have Conor McGregor to talk about. We have Cormier losing to Stipe. We have WWE launching a podcast platform. And Triple G inking his next fight. So you guys stay right there. When we come back, it's all Combat Sports. What up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Corner Podcast. This week's episode of The Corner is brought to you by Casper Mattresses. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the cost. You know me and Andreas are always covering events, we're always writing articles, but when we do have time to sleep, we lay our head down on a nice, pillowy soft premium mattress from Casper Mattresses. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and going straight to you. No showrooms, no middleman. Everyone's seen those creepy guys trying to follow you around the department store. None of that anymore. You get your hands on a nice premium mattress by going straight to Casper Mattresses. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I got to get my rest. So Casper Mattresses is the, is the goods. I'm telling you right now. So listen, you can get $50 off of any mattress purchased by visiting casper.com backslash the corner and entering the promo code the corner. That's one word, the corner. That's casper.com backslash the corner promo code T-H-E-C-O-R-N-E-R. Terms and conditions apply. All right, everybody. Just that quick. We are back from break. And what we're supposed to talk about on the show, combat sports. Uh, let's start off with Conor McGregor, Ariel Hawani getting together our special on ESPN. This shit is no more than a redemption tour, right? This is the equivalent of John Jones walking around the lake. Like, I feel like the last sucker punch in a grandpa lost Conor some money, and he's doing spin control. I mean, dog, this came in April. So, yeah, of course, this is P PR damage control 101. Like, this is exactly what this is. Um, I mean, listen, the interview is not out as we're recording this. I know they aired a piece of it on ESPN. It should be out in a little bit. Um, but I can kind of predict where this is going to be. It's going to be kind of talking about this incident, and then he's going to talk about wanting to get back in the octagon. And then he's going to talk about Nate Diaz's win. And then he's going to talk about becoming a champion again or some shit. And then he's going to talk about his desire to fight. Maybe somewhere in there he talks about fighting Floyd Mayweather again. To be honest, Seems I, about right. <laughs> I can't necessarily see this being anything that's, that's a, big, like, a big deal, except that it's Conor McGregor. I was say, he's that, always a big deal. Yeah, but it, it's just because it's him. Like, unless he's announcing his next fight, I don't want to say I don't care, but I don't care. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, what I mean, he can give an exact timeline of when he's getting back in the octagon. But what does that really matter? Because then Dana White's just going to come out and shit on that timeline. Um, so I, I, I don't know. He's only he's going to say what he needs to say. You know, I'm focusing on my family. I love my wife. I'm becoming a better person. I'm sorry for sucker punching that guy. Um, you know, I, I'm interested in a rematch with Khabib. I'm willing to fight Nate. All the stuff you just said, that's that's all he has. 
until he comes back and, and he actually fights or he does something, um, you know, besides push proper 12, that's all he has. So I, I can't expect anything different. The thing is, and I mean, he obviously holds a lot of weight still, right? He has an hour-long special on ESPN, too. He has a last-second cut-in on SportsCenter with Ariel. So the name still holds weight. I, I just don't know if we're seeing the end of a Conor phenomenon. Like, even Ronda had her end. Tyson had his end. Like, Roy Jones had his end. Is this the end of the Conor phenomenon? Well, is he just going to be another big fighter? Um, if he loses the next fight, yeah. I think that's all. it's all contingent on him winning or losing. Like, he's... Conor McGregor's a star, right? And Ronda Rousey was a star. But then when she lost... Like, everything was built around Ronda winning or losing. Conor, not so much. Conor could afford to lose. Yeah. But if you lose another one, then we got to really start questioning where Conor McGregor's at. So, I think we're approaching the end. I think we've peaked. Um, and he's got to win a big fight. You know, I think Conor McGregor, I don't want to call his career luck because it's not that. Because there's skill involved with knocking out Jose Aldo the way he did. There's oh. skill involved with knocking out Eddie Alvarez. Definitely. Um, so this is all true, but the timing couldn't have been better. Uh, knocking out Chad Mendez the way he did, a guy who was kind of rolling off the couch and into that fight. Um, talking Jose Aldo out of his game plan and having him run into a perfect left hand. And, you know, fighting El Eddie Alvarez, who was like the perfect opponent at lightweight. Like, the, all that stuff wasn't necessarily luck, but it was timing. Fortunately, along the way, he didn't have to fight Khabib. You know, for a lot of people, he didn't have to fight Fra Frankie Edgar. Who knows how a Max Holloway fight would have went. So, it's all worked out, but now it's not. But see, so a now, focused Connor, I think, beats a lot of those guys, maybe outside of Khabib. It's just, I think the point has come and gone where we see a focused Connor. See, I don't, I don't know about that. I think a lot of Conor has had to do with the timing and the right opponents. Um, but again, this is not taken away from his skill. But the questions about Conor dealing with a, with a wrestler weren't answered against Chad Mendes. No matter what anybody says, that was a depleted Chad Mendes. They weren't answered. When he wrestled Khabib Nurmagomedov, then they were answered. We realized Conor is going to have a hard time dealing with this shit. The Nate Diaz was a real test. Both fights. Yeah. So Connor is a he was pound for pound great at one time, probably number one because he was the first one to win world titles in two different weight classes. However, I don't know if this has to do with focus as much as the certain level of opponents he's going to have to deal with, because I don't think a lot of people right now would give Connor the edge against Tony Ferguson. Would you? I give him a better chance against Ferguson than I do Khabib. Uh, again, if it's a focus Conor McGregor, I think he beats Tony Ferguson. I, I, don't, I don't think he's focused. Like, all, all these little things that he's doing, I don't think they're, like, horribly criminal. Like, he got a bar fight. He's an MMA fighter. Like, yeah, so what? They punch people. Shit happens. Like, they're not choir boys. I understand that. But this, the rash of these incidents lead me to believe that it's an unfocused Conor McGregor. And you couple that with the insane amount of money he made in a short period of time, which is about two years... He made three lifetimes worth of money. Well, it, I mean, that could be the case, but it's not an excuse. I'll no, it but like it's not an excuse. So if you're telling me today Connor starts training, fights Tony, I'm giving Tony the leg up. Yeah, that I mean, it just is what it is. But if you told me before that Khabib fight, uh, like an active, before the Mayweather fight, an active Connor McGregor versus Tony Ferguson, and Tony was on a win streak, Connor McGregor knocks him out. 
Yeah, that's what we would have picked. Now, whether it would have yeah. played out that way, we don't know. But I that's, so, that's but I, I just don't think. Yeah, I don't think we see that guy again. That that's the question because Connor was focused. Like whatever happened, I mean, Mike Tyson was focused until he wasn't. We saw what happened. That's yep. part of the game. Like it being is. into it is part of the game. Floyd Mayweather's lived a career of distractions, and didn't lose a fucking fight. So, you know, people deal with shit. And if Connor can't deal with the shit, that's what it is. Like Ronda Rousey was great until she wasn't. And what ends up happening is people take away from your legacy once you get stopped. But it'll get built back up as the years go by. In Connor's case, he'll be great until he's not. And that's kind of what happened here. People have been shitting on Connor, saying he's not good. Yo, he got ran over by Khabib. A lot of people are going to get ran over by Khabib. Shit happens. Now, put him in there with Justin Gaethje and show me a fight. That's what I want to see. Yeah. Somebody going to die, but that's what I want to see. I mean, that's every Justin Gaethje fight. Like, Isn't he fighting Cowboy next? Yeah. Oh, the... The violence. I can't wait for that fight. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So it's, it's I don't know what Connor has left. I just know that it, Connor's not the same guy who he was. For better or worse, he's rich, but he's just clearly not the same guy anymore. Yeah. I mean, and you've always been in the opinion we might not see him fight again. No, we we don't know. We honestly don't know. So I mean he can say whatever he wants to Ariel. Um, but at the end of the day, we just it's all up in the air because you don't know if Connor's going to show up. So um, let's talk about someone who actually fought. UFC 241 was this past weekend. We had uh, Paulo Costa versus Yoel Romero. We're, we're just going to go with the top three fights on that card because um, those are the ones that stick out. These cards are top heavy now. UFC is the end like boxing. Um, but Paulo Costa versus uh, Yoel Romero in what was a three-round war. I wish that shit was five rounds. And I'm surprised so many people thought, one, Yoel Romero won, and two, that he was robbed. Yeah, I didn't see that. I mean, I picked Borchina because I felt like Borchina, like, it kind of played out how I thought. Romero paces himself. And when he paces himself, if he doesn't explode and catch you, he's not going to win the fight. Like, you look at the Robert Whitaker fight, right? Mm -hmm. Romero had his spurts. Like, he has these spurts of violence that are extraordinarily impressive, but it's not consistent. And you go, you watch the Boracina fight, he, he had these spurts where he was like, man, this is, Romero is one of the greatest athletes in the world. But then he just stops. And, then you're, and he like dances around and does weird shit. And you're like, he's trying to catch a breath. So, no, I didn't think Romero won this fight. I thought Boracina won. This is like, this is like the, the, the MMA fight that Vince McMahon would rule over. Like, these guys are <laughs> physical specimens. This was ridiculous. And it turned out to be like this great violent war, but I thought the right guy won. I thought so, too. Uh, and it's not an easy fight. For Costa coming into this one, man. Like, we talked about his resume was a little light. There's no easy ones against Yoel Romero. No, absolutely not. No, like not too many people beat this guy at any age. And we saw why. And Costa had him rocked. And then next thing you know, Romero points to the right. It's like, yo, what's that? Boom, hits him with the right hand. David turns off the lights. And Costa was able to survive and keep coming forward. These, these guys, one, I have no clue how they're middleweights. No, like, dude. No clue. <laughs> the fact that, that Israel Adesanya is gonna, may have to fight one of these guys, because I'm not saying he's going to beat Robert Whitaker, but I'm just talking about because he's tall and he's skinny. That, that shit doesn't look fair. No. Like, <laughs> you, look at, you look at Costa and you look at Adesanya, and you're like, there's, just, there's no way. Like, there's no way they're in the same weight class. I don't know what it is. I don't know how they make that weight. Dude, that's ridiculous. But, all right. You look at these two as middleweights. Against the middleweights from, what, 10 years ago in the UFC? 
The shit yeah, doesn't I mean, even look like these guys look like heavyweights ten years ago in the UFC. They're they're bigger. They're, look at Dan Henderson when he was fighting heavyweight or light heavy. He was nowhere near as big as these guys. It's kind of crazy, man. It is kind of crazy <laughs> how these guys make weight. Unbelievable, I, incredible, man. So that that was like watching two superheroes fight. But I thought that was a good decision. And then in the co-main, we get Nate Diaz returning against Anthony Pettis. And Nate, maybe he's just comfortable at 170. Maybe yeah. this is his home. Maybe going beating Connor, going the distance with Connor and looking decent in that fight, but getting leg kicked. So Connor still kind of had the power. And then now against the Anthony Pettis that, you know, for better or worse, won a couple fights at 170 and was moving up the rankings. Nate Diaz might have just found his home, especially at this time in his career, where he doesn't have to cut weight, where he's coming in 100% healthy and it's paying dividends. Yeah, I think the, the other thing that's very important with Nate Diaz is, is something I mentioned last week, even though I picked Pettis to win, he's a cardio machine. The guy doesn't get tired. Like, Anthony Pettis was in the fight until he realized that he wasn't going to back down. Like, if you allow Diaz to dictate the pace and press the action, he kind of fucked. Yep. So it's like you, you watch this fight as, it, as it's happening, and you're watching Anthony Pettis just getting walked down and then trying to fight off Nate Diaz. That's not how you beat Nate Diaz. You beat <laughs> no. Nate Diaz by putting him on his back. You beat Nate Diaz by using distance. Like, you just can't allow him to close the distance. Yeah. Hence the leg was, kicks that Anthony Pettis never tried. No, he started with him early and then completely backed off him because he couldn't create the distance. Anthony Pettis has never been good fighting backward, and I completely forgot about that when making this uh, prediction. He's just not good fighting backwards. So Nate Diaz, yeah, maybe he's hitting his Robbie Lawler stride. He's just hard to deal with because he doesn't go away. He's lost to a lot of guys who have wrestled him, and, you know, Josh Thompson caught him with a head kick. Um, Dos Anjos just kind of was, was just more aggressive than him. But other than that, if you're going to stand there and try to be cute with Nate Diaz, you're probably going to lose the fight. So that's exactly what happened. Yeah, and now Nate and people, you know, immediately Rogan goes in the cage. Like, do you want a Conor fight? Like, do you want a championship fight? What's next? And Nate Diaz made one of the most perfect call-outs I've ever seen post-fight, calling out Jorge Masvidal. Dude, I didn't know I wanted it till he said it. Me when either. When he said it, yo, <laughs> give me that tomorrow. And here, main event, this. please. I want five rounds of that shit. I don't care what it main events. I don't care if a woman's championship title is underneath it. That needs to be a five round main event fight. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is like I said it last week, and I, I hold true to like Nate Diaz has become a star with a relatively mediocre record, and the fact that he's clung on, he's hung on to this type of stardom by being this enigma. You got to capitalize on it. And it's crazy because Masvidal's almost the same type of guy, except he's been more active. Masvidal was the king of the split decision loss. He was just kind of middling around in the division. Then he caught fire. So two guys that are catching fire who love to fight, put them in the octagon together. I'd love to see it. Let's make it happen. Yeah, me too. And uh, hopefully you get that card. And what's crazy is that becomes a de facto number one contender fight. Yeah, absolutely. Because Masvidal is, is was just we were talking about him just waiting it out, right, and getting his title shot. Now that it looks like Colby is uh, on his way to a title shot, which most deserved, and Colby has earned that. He was the interim champion, came out, he had a good showing. Cool. Him versus Usman should be the fight. But now you look, instead of Masvidal waiting and just chilling and seeing who's there, hey, make some money against Nate, and if Nate wins that fight for any reason. 
boom, he's in, in line for a title shot again. And he's yeah, a draw, wow. so it, it's hard to keep him out of it. So that shit's crazy. As a three-year hiatus, stuff couldn't break any better for Nate Diaz. Absolutely. And it was um, planned perfectly. Um, in the main event, we saw the opposite of a cardio machine, which is very odd. Daniel Cormier versus Steve Miocic. And DC came in as champion. The first three rounds, he looked every bit of a champion. But to me, even before Stipe kind of sapped him of his energy with amazing uh, body work and left hooks to the body specifically, DC was already tired. I remember after the first round, he looks over his corner and says, am I winning? Like, it's like he wanted out. And it begs the question of, if you have one foot out the door to retirement, is it already over? Nah, I don't think so. I think this, DC just fought the wrong fight. I, I think that's really all it was. And I think he asked if he was winning because he was in a striking contest with Steve Miocic. But he dominated like, the striking contest. He was up 3 nothing. Yeah, but he, was still, he got hit a lot more than he's ever been hit before in a fight. So even though he was winning those, I mean, it was brilliant dirty boxing. He was using his hands to mask the, the short hooks and the uppercuts. Even though that was happening... He just wasn't really sure where he was at because he was getting tagged. Like, Miocic was standing right there trading with him. The thing I didn't see coming was Stipe Miocic finding the body shot and Daniel Cormier being like, I've never felt this before and I don't know how to stop it. Like, that was insane to me. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, Miocic stops DC in the fourth round, regains the heavyweight title. I know the question is about DC being out the door. I, I, don't, I, I don't think he's necessarily out the door if he gets a fight that he wants. But there's really no fight that makes sense for DC other than a John Jones fight or Miocic rematch. That's there's, it. That's it. There's really no reason for him to fight. He's done everything that you could possibly do. Now he's lost to somebody else that's not named John Jones. And he got stopped. Why fight Francis Ngannou? You know what I'm saying? Like, why fight anybody else? There's oh, yeah, no, no reason no, for No, him. you never take a Francis fight. <laughs> no, no. I don't think it, with a win he would have took a Francis fight. Like, there's, no. there's nothing worth it there. Um, I think now for Stipe, though, I want to see a Francis fight. So for Daniel, even if he has to take some time to think about it, I, I selfishly want to see the rematch between Stipe and Francis because Francis has looked better, I would say, than he even looked before leading into the Stipe fight. Yeah, I mean, the only problem with Francis is, you know, obviously he still has a hard time with wrestlers. So well, he, he Actually, just got, he's been two better wrestlers since. Yeah, but what my point is, is like if you can't put him on the back, you can sap his energy. And Giannis, to me, he's still the same guy. Like, if he catches you, you're going to sleep. That's it. Does he set up the punch better? That's it. Nothing else changes. But he's fought get... two better wrestlers than Stipe. Yeah, he, but... He fought Kane, knocked his ass out smooth when Kane shot for a takedown and learned how to find an angle to knock him out. And then he knocked out Curtis Blades, who's a better wrestler than Stipe. Yeah, but he does, neither... Well, Kane had been off on a long layoff. Curtis Blades is not near... Like, Engano didn't have to worry about the striking of Curtis so that was an easy, not easy, but it was easy to kind of telegraph what was coming. Stipe mixes it up better than both of them. So it make, that's what makes it interesting is because with Francis, it's still the same game plan. I'm going to knock you out. That's it. There's that's nothing it. That's else to it. Yeah. That's yeah, what helps one trick, though. Yeah, there's, there is no I'm going to stop the takedown and I'm going to work this. There's none of that. It's like if I'm hitting you with this and you get caught with it, you're going to sleep. That's it. So Miocic, just like in the first fight, what he has to do is weather the storm to where the steam is taking off those punches. So in the later rounds, Ngannou's not as strong. So, yeah, I want to see the fight because of the unpredictability of Francis Ngannou's power. Because nobody can really stand up to it if he catches you clean. And it's crazy because Ngannou couldn't knock out Stipe 
what a light heavyweight that used to be a heavyweight that came back to heavyweight was able to. It's yeah, crazy. it's crazy. And then you look at DC. Obviously, Stipe wasn't going for takedowns necessarily, um, which he would against Ngannou. But DC was piecing his ass up. So yeah. if, you, if you look and you say if Stipe hits or if Stipe gets hit by Ngannou as much as he got hit by DC, it's over. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it, it's a crazy dynamic to the fight. The, the other thing is, and we'll go back to talking about DC here real quick. And, you know, people, I, I just don't understand Cormier's game plan. At a, at, by the time the third round hit, I said it. Why are you not taking him down? He shot for that third round takedown. No, nah, but, but that was Stipe, after he got taken down. That was he, after he got taken exactly. down. Exactly. And Stipe stuffed it, right? And I think that was the last of the energy. I That's honestly it. think DC came in. And DC will never admit it. DC, I mean, there's no excuses, no nothing. He wasn't the same guy. His cardio wasn't the same in this fight as it was in the John Jones fights and any fight previously. He was not the same guy because if anything, you're going to have to beat DC. His cardio beat him well before Stipe did. Yeah, but again, if you don't deploy the takedowns, you're not going to win the fight. So, like, okay, the first round you're doing this dirty boxing thing, which looks like it works, right? The second round comes, oh, and you actually got a takedown at the end of the round, if I remember correctly. The second round comes, you're not going for any takedowns at all? If you're, and especially if you're gassing as a wrestler, that's what you do. You go back to what works. DC is a world-class wrestler. Nobody can really stop the takedown. You don't go for a takedown after Miocic takes you down because Stipe knows that's coming. You got to mix it up. I don't understand DC's game plan where he felt so confident in the striking that he can get another knockout like he did the first time. And again, I don't want to call the first knockout luck, but it was a perfectly placed punch. You're still not necessarily a better striker than Stipe Miocic. When we predicted this first fight, everybody said the same thing. Like... DC is the best wrestler in the heavyweight division, and that's his path to victory. Why the hell was it not his path to victory in the, in the rematch? I'm going to forever be baffled by it. And as he got tired, it even boggles my mind more why you wouldn't resort to what you know rather than standing there and trading and then being completely clueless when he got hit in the gut. Yeah. When, to me, and you look at like that last left hand to the body, that really set up the one-two knockout shot, right? Because DC was damn near crumbling from the left hand to the body. I don't understand because people have been fighting for so long. When you're that hurt and you know you got a minute left on a clock, like you know you've been in this round what seems like forever, go down from the body shot and make the person jump into your guard. Survive the Anything. round. Standing up and trying to tough out a body shot never makes sense to me. Just go to the yeah, ground. I, I didn't understand. Like, again, I like, didn't understand yeah, this game plan at all. Make them win it with ground and pound. Do not let them just take you smooth out on the feet. I never it, understood it was that. A, this was a baffling <laughs> game plan. And I know in retrospect, people say, well, he was winning the striking game. But that's not DC's game, and it never has been. But then again, I don't get punched in the head for a living. No, right? I, so if someone punched me in the head repeatedly, maybe I wouldn't know the correct game plan either. No, but I, I'm just saying, like, if we look at Daniel Cormier's entire career, entire career, he, the, what's won him fights is his wrestling. Yep. The Rumble-Johnson fights, he wrestled Rumble. Like, why? Like, you got to not. Like, I felt like he was smelling himself in this fight. Like, he came and was like, yeah, I can do it again. And then the first round, he had Stipe up. He picked his ass up, walked around, tossed him. That should have been the game plan throughout. Yeah, it's like mix it up. Don't be so predictable. And then, yeah. D, you know, Stipe found the formula and got that stoppage. Now, I guess the real question is, now where does Daniel Correa fall in the pantheon of greatest MMA fighters of all time? He's still up there. Um, I agree. Taking 
this would have solidified him maybe as like two or three. Um, but now we've seen so many others lose. Like, so is Anderson Silva still top three? I think Daniel Cormier is better. Um, I mean, the guy, what he did in two different divisions, two different belts. Uh, to me, the heavyweight division is just not lent towards that. Which is, I mean, to your credit and to other people who love Fedor, I mean, that's the biggest plus for Fedor in my mind. He was dominant in a division that's not built for that. Stipe is the most in the UFC against some of the best in the world, and he's gone three title defenses. DC went one, maybe two, or he had a win in a defense. Like, this shit's not made for you to hold the belt. Stipe could lose this in his next three fights, which he probably will. So it's just not a division that lends itself to holding the belt because people got heavy-ass hands. So it's just you're going to get knocked out sooner or later. So, I mean, DC is still, I'd say, top five. Him, Aldo. The level of dominance for that amount of time is impeccable. I mean, it's tough, man, because... John Jones is number one. I'll tell you that damn much. I mean, if John Jones is number one, and I don't care what anybody says, Fedor belongs in that conversation because he just, he ruled a division that was full of killers and didn't get stopped. Like, Until the end. Yeah, until the end. Everybody has an end. So it's like... Muhammad Ali has an end, and people will forget yeah. about it. So, combat sports-wise, real quick, I mean, and before you keep going, combat sports-wise, and this is something I've been meaning to ask, you do a lot of rankings. Yeah. Should we only judge combat sports-wise, like, by their primes? And this is something no. I often wonder in boxing. Like, Roy Jones doesn't make a lot of top 15 lists, but his prime is as good as almost anyone's prime. Like, should we only judge primes? Because so many people fall off a fucking cliff at the end. Yeah, I mean, you have to judge somebody in the entirety of their career. And that's – Roy Jones, he killed his, his legacy by continuing to fight. Um, I think the reason why is because there are fighters that e- either find the right time to get out or age past, you know, where Roy Jones started to fade and were still really good. So it's like when Floyd Mayweather, who a lot of people put in their top pound-for-pound all-time um, – because he's never lost, and he did so climbing into his 40s. Or you look at Bernard Hopkins, who's closing in on 50. That was and my being question. Competitive. Yeah. People put Hopkins over Roy Jones. Yeah, so it's like, but, you know, but in their prime, it, it's hard because, like... It's Roy like is better. Roy it's is like, better in his prime than Bernard Hopkins in his prime. But then he's wildly inconsistent. So here, the, the argument is the level of competition, because I, I like to use this individual because for there was a time where this individual was the best basketball player on the planet in a lot of people. Eyes. Gilbert Arenas. Gilbert Arenas, when he was on, unstoppable. Definitely was the best scorer at that time. He was the right. James Harden before James Harden. Yes, you could not stop Gilbert Arenas. But Gilbert Arenas will never be uh, talked about in that conversation because he didn't win a ring. He didn't have a long enough tenure. Roy Jones is obviously different because his tenure was a lot longer. But there was a time where Roy Jones was, it looked like he was fighting cab drivers. Like there wasn't a lot of guys that he was beating that people would recognize. So. When you have to start splitting hairs on pound for pound list, you have to look at the level of opposition. And that's where Roy Jones falls off. Yes, he beat James Tony. Yes, he beat Bernard Hopkins early in his career. He beat John Ruiz for a heavyweight champion, but nobody has John Ruiz on anybody's pound for pound <laughs> heavyweight of all time list. No, it's still impressive. You know, so that's that's like the the biggest drawback for Roy Jones is him continuing to fight. Your legacy does fade. It happens. And it's like if you lose two fights and it's over, all right, cool. Like Muhammad Ali, you lost to Larry Holmes, whatever. Um, Jose Aldo, okay, you lost to Conor McGregor, whatever. You still had one of the most dominant runs. Yeah. But if you still fight for, like, when it becomes the other half of your career is is terrible with Roy Jones, 
then it becomes a problem. I mean, Aldo's like three of his last four losses. Yeah, and, and it hurts. But Max twice, and then Connor. So, I mean, I guess that's nothing to sneeze at, but it still hurts. And you look at Anderson Silva. He's a guy you would argue has crushed his legacy down the stretch. Past five years completely ruined his legacy. Yeah, and it's, you know, he was unequivocally the greatest MMA fighter of all time until he wasn't. And that's just combat sports, and that's how it happens. Like, if you can, if you can stay consistent, that's more important. So if Cormier were to walk away tomorrow, he has a legit, you know, he could talk about being top five, right? But John, John is always going to be his Muhammad Ali to his Joe Frazier. It's just the way it is, except that Joe Frazier actually won a fight. Um, but it's, it's hard with Cormier, man. Like, he, he was so dominant as a heavyweight, but then he never beat the man who was the man at light heavyweight. So, and he beat Stipe, though, who was arguably one of the greatest heavyweights. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you can't so, take that off of the record. So, so he's in that area where Anderson Silva kind of resides. And, you know, he may be better than him, but it's, you know, there, there's levels to this shit. And I think John Jones right now, until he loses, is on a completely different level than everybody else. I think he might be better than GSP. Cormier? Yeah. I mean, that, uh, when we're that's, talking that's top tough. five, like, I, I'd still probably give him ahead of GSP. That's, that's a tough one because, again, like GSP, GSP's like, losses were, I mean, that loss was an ugly-ass loss. To who, Matt Sarah? Yeah. I, I mean, mean it, shit happens, but it's like... It, it does. I mean, but shit never happened to Cormier. Cormier lost to the best UFC heavyweight of all time, in which he has a win against, and then he lost to the best fighter of all time. So, I mean, when you judge loss versus loss, Cormier has better losses Yeah, but he doesn't, have the ten, he doesn't have the tenure of GSP. GSP was at Dan Welterweight Chamber for a long fucking yeah. time. So it's it's tough, man. And that's why these pound-for-pound pound arguments are so interesting because you're judging guys based on level of competition, the era that they fought in, the division that they fight in. Now it's like, did they win a uh, title in another weight class? I don't know. But yeah. Cormier, regardless, has had one of the greatest MMA careers, period. Definitely. Top five, and then after that, we start splitting hairs. Um, let's talk about boxing then real quick. Not too much in boxing right now, but uh, a couple of storylines in which we have... Triple G inking his fight um, against Derevichenko, who was supposed to fight Canelo Alvarez, and that shit went through, and we talked about Canelo and maybe his oncoming strife uh, with Golden Boy, but this is kind of the repercussions of that, and now Triple G is looking at the opportunity to get one of his belts back, and then depending on how his fights break after this, kind of forcing Canelo Alvarez back into a trilogy fight. Yeah, I mean, this is how you do it, right? I mean, you get the title back that you lost, that Canelo was stripped of, and that Derevchenko has been the you know the top contender for. So this fight makes a ton of sense. It's not an easy fight. Derevchenko gave J- Daniel Jacobs hell. Um, he's trained by Andre Rozier, so you know Rozier's familiar because he trained Daniel Jacobs when Jacobs fought Triple G. So this is actually a really good fight, and it's it's exactly what needs to happen if Triple G wants to get that Canelo fight. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. October is not too far away. I mean, I fully expect Triple G to win, but he ain't getting no younger. And that's the biggest concern. And you look, there's so many changes around him, right? So you, you change trainers after all this time in Big Bear, and then now you change promoters. And he's a matchroom guy. Yeah. So it comes down to, are these changes maybe a, an act of depor- desperation? Like, is he feeling that mortality now? Does he feel like this is his last stretch? Which he, he wouldn't be wrong if he did, because it is. 
I mean, the, the matchroom thing, no big deal. You had to go somewhere. Um, you know, getting with Eddie Hearn to help navigate the rest of your career with Triple G promotions, that makes sense. I mean, you're on the, yeah, you're on the zone anyway. It only makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're changing your trainer from Abel Sanchez to Jonathan Banks. Um, it kind of – like, Abel Sanchez has lost a lot of fighters in the past year and a half. Like, people – for whatever reason, they just haven't been happy with Abel Sanchez. Um, so going to Jonathan Banks, who helped guide Vladimir Klitschko, I, you know, I'm not mad at that decision either. Uh, but I, I do agree. I mean, we're at the, the, the back end of his career, so I don't know what else he has left. So if you got to make a few changes to try to see better results, you might as well yeah. make them now. Yeah, changes on the back end always make me wonder, like, you know, desperation, or is he looking for, like, just something different? Like you said, like, listen, I went in there with Abel twice. It wasn't enough to beat Canelo for, for whatever reason. Judges saw it wasn't enough. Maybe I just need a change. Yeah. So it, it'll be interesting. But he's definitely worked himself into a position to land another Canelo Alvarez fight. Another guy looking in the immediate future to put his name in the running for a Canelo Alvarez fight. Sergey Kovalev, he fights this weekend. Yeah, he's got uh, Anthony Yardy in a fight that a lot of people expect him to win. Yardy's unbeaten, uh, but he's obviously untested. So, Someone the other day said Yardy... And uh, I forgot where it was, but someone was like, oh, this Yardy kid's an actual real threat to Kovalev. And I was just like, I, he's talented, don't get me wrong, but he, he's not the type of fighters that have been beating Kovalev. No, no I mean, he's not. But uh, you, it, it, this is a, uh, I think you kind of mentioned this in our rundown, is that this is a trap fight. You know, it's, it's a guy who's undefeated and untested, but we really don't know what Yardy has to offer. Yeah. So when that happens, you know, we expect Kovalev to win because he's fighting a guy who's undefeated but untested. But Yardy's looked pretty good in his fights. And we've seen and, Kovalev get caught with the trap fight and, yeah. and knocked out. You so, know, the Alita Alvarez fight was a guy that, you know, a lot of people thought Kovalev would win. But those knew that Alita was very sneaky uh, with his talent and skill. And that he ended up beating Kovalev. And Kovalev's no spring chicken either. So, and on top of that, you have the Canelo fight hovering above all of this. So... With Kovalev and his, you know, recent bullshit issues with with women and, you know, Kovalev's just, I don't know. He could be distracted and he could get caught with it with a fast one in this fight. Yeah, I expect him to win this, though, because there's a lot of money on the table for that Canelo fight. So if he's not motivated motivated by that, then I don't know what the hell's going to motivate him. Um, before we go to pro wrestling to close this out, though, one thing, and I didn't even put it in a rundown, but it's something I've been thinking about and looking at Canelo moving forward because he's the biggest star in boxing. And seeing how he's going between weight classes and kind of fluid now, it's something I've been like speculating and just wondering, wanted to pick your brain on. Um, obviously, no inside info, but something I've just been looking at. Do you think in the next probably like year or two, probably towards the latter, we see Canelo versus Andre Ward? No, I don't. But I, I, I don't see it, but I wouldn't say that it's impossible for it to happen. Um, I feel like he's running its course, right? Like I feel like to get that legacy style fight, Ward would be the guy to to urge out of retirement and, and to you see in the path. Like, hey, I want Kovalev. It's like, why the fuck out of everywhere does he want Kovalev? Then it's like, oh wait, oh so you want to beat this guy worse than Ward beat him? Okay, so now we're going common opponents. Whenever I'm thinking in boxing terms and someone chasing someone, I always look for common opponents. Yeah, it's, I don't know. Like, Andre Ward's a guy who I feel like is pretty firm in his retirement right now. 
And yeah, Canelo fight sounds interesting, but Canelo's got a way to go because one thing is for sure, Ward ain't making middleweight. And he's probably not making super middleweight either. So this would have to be a light heavyweight fight. Ah, no. uh, 168, I think, could pull. Yeah, no. now it'd probably be 175. No, he said it himself. He was like, I ain't making that shit. Like, Ward <laughs> is eating. Like, he's he's clear. Like, he's been a big super middleweight. So for him to come down, I don't see it happening. Um, and if that fight were to happen, it would have to happen soon. Because the longer Ward stays away and he's doing his commentary thing for top rank, I don't think he's necessarily all that interested in the Canelo fight. He got paid really well from his Rock Nation deal really well so i don't necessarily see him going after this fight but you never know things can happen yeah it'll be interesting I, it's just a fight i looked at on paper and i was like all right we're seeing common opponents we're seeing you know what's on the landscape after this does canelo you know if he does do a triple g trilogy and, and wins for any reason like does he go after the charlos does he try to give someone else the opportunity and make it a name off of him and then i thought uh you know andre you know ward might be that next guy that next, like, check on the legacy status um, for him. So that'll be interesting to see. Let's talk about WWE real quick, though. Um, just seeing down the pipeline, the man has gotten engaged. Becky Lynch engaged to Seth Rollins. Oh, whatever. So, <laughs> listen, man. It's the first, I guess, like, the, the first couple of the WWE now. Uh, even though Charlotte is doing tranquilo poses in, in the middle of matches. And uh, she's head over heels for Andrade. So, uh, listen, we'll see. I fully expect Andrade to win this King of the Ring tournament that we're about to talk about here in a second. Um, but the big news, other big news today, is WWE is launching a podcast network. Yeah. Um, Interesting. That, yeah, see. Off rip, we couldn't do this on the WWE network, probably. <laughs> like, no, but see, uh, and therein lies my issue, right? I think you hit it right on the head by saying that. I'm not mad at the WWE for having a podcast network. They should have done this shit years ago. My issue is the content that comes out of this network. Because, and I feel like this is, I, I don't know if it is or it isn't, but I feel like this is trying to piggyback over the success of Conrad's podcast. And you can't really do that because you have to tell the truth about your product and the people that are in it. So that's the danger of them doing a podcast where I'm not so confident in being entertained by the podcast yeah. because you'd have to be honest about Vince you'd have to be honest about some of the wrestlers and some of the dark eras of pro wrestling you have to be honest about some of the behind the scenes bullshit that has happened you have to be honest about the current product which I think is the biggest hurdle because you can kind of shit on the past we saw that in Conrad's thing they let him give a little bit of rope right there was some stuff where it came out like maybe they told him not to touch on but the past is kind of the past I have yet to see someone shit on the current product which is why no, we not, couldn't be on there. like are we there's just not enough happy-go-lucky shit for them to pay us to talk about yeah so so the challenge is i mean the wwe if anybody's ever been in the press and tried to deal with the wwe they are adamant about controlling the narrative so when you do an, a, an interview with a wwe talent the publicist is on the phone and they're listening and you've been like i've been told you can't ask these questions and you can't do this and you can't do that if you're that if you're trying to control the narrative that strong in an interview, I can only imagine how hands-on they'll be with a podcast. Because you can't really just let it all loose. You can't and, talk and that's about... that's so tough with, you know, us having a podcast. Conversations just take you places. So you gotta they, do, like, post-editing to, like, take our shit? Nah, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's going to be a challenge, and I don't necessarily trust the WWE to do it the way that I'd like to see it. Because, yeah, I want to hear about 
who was the cokehead behind the scenes. Like, yeah. I want to hear about the airplane fight, and even though that's the infamous thing, but I want to hear about the nitty-gritty of it. Yeah. Like, I want to hear about things in the current product that are messed up. Yeah. They're not going to do that. And it's the access gonna... is what's uh, alluring by this, right? Like, that's the alluring part of this deal, is that if you ink a podcast deal with them, you have access to the whole roster. Like, for us, for some reason, like, one, they wouldn't be able to censor us. Like, the shit probably wouldn't work. But the allure of it is, yo, imagine me, you sitting down with a Samoa Joe interview for an hour and a half. Yeah, there's so and, many things. And, and I'm the like shit that. we can pull from that. And your knowledge on just the, their whole timeline and everything, that's great. But will that be possible? Will so, it be possible? Will you be able to talk about things outside of the WWE? Yeah. Will you really be able to talk about Joe's ROH career and, and his time in Impact? Will you really be able to talk about some of the newer signings and, and really address where they came from? So that's a challenge. I don't, again, I don't necessarily trust it. Good for the WWE. I just feel like they're really late to this game. And I feel like they're doing this to try to push Conrad out. And that's just my personal opinion. I feel, I feel like they see how well Conrad's podcast with Bruce Pritchard did. They signed Bruce Pritchard. Yep. They saw how well Conrad's podcast did with Eric Bischoff. They signed Eric Bischoff. And now <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, it's like. They, you think they, their they, next logical step would be to go and just cut this big ass check to Conrad to start this network? Well, so, I, I mean, that's the question that I don't know the answer to is because I, I feel like they did approach Conrad and maybe Conrad said no, because Conrad has an extremely successful mortgage company that he doesn't need the WWE. And that's probably where things got severed. I could be wrong. I'm just speculating. But I'm just looking at a guy who has a career outside of pro wrestling that has a podcast where he just talks about what he wants to talk about. I don't think he wanted to be under the watchful eye of the WWE. So the WWE, just like they're doing with AEW, is like, well, fuck it. If you're not going to be with us, you're against us. Yeah. And we're going to do everything in our power to bury you. Which leads us to our next topic. <laughs> uh, Dre, it's happened. And we've been talking about this for three years. I've been telling you, you've been like, no, no, it's not. It's, it's horrible. It's going to kill it. Well, we're going to see. WWE has announced NXT is going live weekly from the USA Network. Um, so All reports wait. so far is that Trips is in charge until he fucks it up. Yeah, I don't see. see that going. Like, so, what, I don't know what they expect. Like, what's a good ratings? Like a 1.1? 1. 1? Like, I, I don't understand. Do they have to beat AEW in the ratings for Trips to keep his job? I, I don't know how deep they're going with this rabbit hole. See, so the question, the first question is, and I'll ask you this, and then everybody else can think about it. Was this always going to be in play, or was this completely reactionary to AEW? That's the first question. I thought it would always be the natural evolution, right? That's why I mentioned it on the show for years. I've, I thought this would be the natural evolution for right, wrong, or whatever, however it ended up. Um, I think now... The time slot, the length of the show, everything else involved, I, I think there's no question that it's because of AEW. There, there's no reason to say we're going live. Oh, and by the way, it's September 18th. Like, wouldn't you want some more planning behind this? Maybe they've known it for a little while. Maybe that's why Gargano was allowed to go back down. Maybe that's why we haven't seen the rash of call-ups since WrestleMania. It's kind of slow. Um, and we saw some guys get called up. Probably you shouldn't have. Maybe some will go back down. Maybe we'll get the AOPs, you know, back down there and some of those guys. And Who? We'll see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't, don't play it like that. But like these are, these are options. So maybe we'll see stuff like that. But right now, it's reactionary to what we saw in AEW. 
And as soon as AEW announced it, I was like, I mean, as soon as they announced their deal, I came on here and said it's not WWE main roster versus AEW. It's NXT versus AEW. And Cody only made that more clear when he came and broke the Triple H throne. He didn't break a Vince throne. He broke a Triple H throne. He made it clear who he's waging war against. And to a point who he finds as the threat. So he's like, I'm going to chase this first. Maybe he's trying to take him out at the knees first before he goes for the head. That is the main roster. But for any reason, he declared war on NXT and Trips is shot back. So he's like, cool. Trips has been in a war before. I mean, Co Cody has been in one. He saw WCW end of things. He knows this is the Wednesday Night Wars and it's what it's going to be. They can pitch it and spin it however they want. But this is the beginning. It's the Wednesday Night Wars. Who, who's winning the ratings? Who's having the better matches? And at this point, they can actually stack up and say who's having the better pay-per-views. Because, oh, best believe NXT can compete with whatever the hell AEW puts out for their pay-per-views. More so than the main roster. So this is where the shit gets named gritty. This is fun. This is competition. AEW main roster wasn't competition. They're limited. This is more comparable. You want real wrestling on Wednesdays? WWE said, we're going to give you real wrestling on Wednesdays. Let's go at it. All right. So there's a couple things here. One, um, AEW did poke the bear. And they need to stop. They did and, several times. And, I, and I, I don't mean they need to stop because, you know, it's going to bring the worst out of it. It's not that. At a certain point, just start seeing petty, right? It's cool the first time, but if you keep, like, if it all out, if they continue to take shots, it's like pay attention to your product. That's how I feel. Yeah. Slow down. Two, this, if, if the crazy thing about this is that the, the spirit of Dusty Rhodes hangs over both of these companies. Dusty Rhodes' NXT versus his son's AEW. That's insane to me. Ten years from now, we might argue Dusty Rhodes hate wrestling. I mean, we could really look at this because nobody really thought this could have possibly happened. If, you know, when I talk to Cody, I'm going to get a chance to talk to Cody when I go out there. And this may be off the record. I don't know yet. But I am going to have this conversation with Cody about could any of this have been possible if your father was still alive? Because I don't know if he would have left the WWE if Dusty was still here. I don't know if he would have struck out on his own if Dusty was still here. I have no idea. Yeah. I don't know if Dusty would have said, you know, you have my blessing to go do this. I have no idea. But when, once Dusty was gone, Cody was out the door shortly thereafter. Mm -hmm. And that led to all of this. But now, you know, Dusty was all, had his fingerprints all over NXT. So now you have these two factions, these two promotions going against each other. Okay, now we got that out of the way. I, just, I pointed out. So here's my issue with NXT going to television. Forget everything else that we've talked about and my concerns about Vince having his hands on the product and everything else. Going weekly with NXT for two hours, mm -hmm. my big concern with this is that NXT television has not been all that great in like six months. It hasn't been what must watch TV. So they have to rectify this and fix it quick. Because there was a time when NXT was, you know, Kevin Owens, Finn Balor, Nakamura, yeah. Mojo, that you felt like you had to watch NXT every week. Mm -hmm. Now you don't. And I haven't felt that way for a long time. Like, what well, I have to watch NXT television. I don't. We watch TakeOver, but I can't name, I don't think there's a lot of people, and y'all out there can correct me if I'm wrong, who are rushing to watch NXT like they used to. So now you're taking it, putting it on television. I definitely don't watch on Wednesdays anymore. Mm -mm. Like, I'll, I'll catch it at some point during the week. But I don't watch it Wednesdays anymore. And and now it's a lot more, okay, one good match this week. Like, 
they they spaced out their stars a little too much. That right. makes so, sense. So if if we're we're bringing this to the the to a network and we're giving you a two hour time slot, which on one hand is good because you got a lot of talent that wasn't getting seen, but on mm-hmm. the other hand is like okay, well how are we going to start progressing these storylines and how how are we going to make this something that you want to consume against AEW after watching Raw and in between SmackDown? Because now that's what you're about to run into. Well, I, I think I think the competition is different. Not even Raw and SmackDown. I think it's AEW came out the gate and said we're providing this different style of wrestling that the WWE can't give you on Wednesday nights. And the WWE said we have that same fucking style of wrestling, and ours is as good, if not better, than yours. Bring it. And that and that's fine. And I'm not mad at that. It's just the fact that I need to consume. Now we're going to be consuming eight hours of WWE television a week. Yeah. That's that's a lot. But I never that's, even looked at NXT as WWE television. I'm not. It, I mean, not not to say now. that. Yeah, not to say that it won't change now. But if it's it's still at full sale, they they've kept a lot of little things. And I'm always optimistic anyway. But they kept a lot of little things that should make everyone optimistic. It's still at full sale. It's still a lot of people behind the scenes that should is is going to stay intact. Moro is going to be there every week, so the the announced team is going to stay intact. A lot of those same things. The same feeling is there. They just have to produce double the content. But that doesn't mean that they can't long-term script this like they have been. They've been doing three months of taping in two days. So they know how to write a long-term script and film it quickly. They just have to space it out now. Yeah, but you have to, you're serving a different master now. And that's the bigger issue is that now you're serving a network television audience. You're serving advertisers. This is a different master than being behind a paywall and kind of getting being able to do whatever you want. Because yeah. that's what NXT has been. It's like they could do an hour. If you subscribe, you're watching it. There's, there's no – like if, if, if they don't have a high rating, who cares? It's about subscriptions. Yeah. Like when HBO has The Sopranos, The Wire, it's all subscription-based. All those things are behind the paywall. Like there's tons of viewers, great, but it's ultimately a subscription driver, and that's what NXT was. I don't know what the subscription driver is now, outside of yeah. which is cool, but it's like, mm, you know, I need something else, or do I? Because there's so much television. But then we're servicing a different master, and the master is: do, can you drive ratings? Because yeah. that's what's going to matter at the end of the day. It's very true. But what's what's the limit? They like what's the the bar they have to hit? Do you have to do SmackDown numbers? Because SmackDown know. is leaving USA. So do you have to overtake that 2.1, 2.2 rating every week now? Or do you just have to do slightly better than AEW? You have to ask the advertisers that in the network. That's, yeah, that's the question. I don't think anyone knows that. Besides Vince Trips and the people who just struck this deal for what is reported to 25 mil to 30 mil a year. Because yeah. people can say what they want. NXT wasn't a, a business model. They weren't a money driver. Like, now you're a money driver. So a lot of shit, whenever you start talking green, Vince is in it. So all we can ask is that when USA struck this deal with the WWE, is that USA came, hopefully, and said, leave it as it is. Yeah. And add an extra hour. That's what we hope is the case. I, leave I, it as it is, add an extra hour. I hope USA said, we're losing SmackDown. Like, this, this huge chunk, right? That brought in advertisements and everything. You're taking that to Fox. And giving us nothing. We'll take anything to recoup some of what you're missing. Because for a second, we had nothing. We, we only had Raw, and we had this huge gap in revenue 
that they could put whatever original show they want in that place. It wasn't going to recoup what live television can do. So they said, give us something live. And 50% of what SmackDown gave us is a success because we are about to have 0% of what SmackDown gave us. And if that's, if that's the, the limit, God bless, let Trips run, run it and see what he can do. If they're expecting yeah. SmackDown numbers and production and, you know, and they're going to be harping on it like that because they're putting up the money, that seems like it's that, right? Like, I mean, roughly, if those numbers are correct, it's 50%, 40% of what they just put up for Raw. So you expect 50%, 40% of those numbers, <laughs> which is tough on a Wednesday when they're, you're actively competing. Yeah. It, this is going to be intriguing because look, look, AEW came in and was bought, uh, was brought over because of what was what is being promised. I don't know if NXT is being brought over because of what is being pro- promised or the precedent that the main roster has 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 put in place. So if you're looking at WWE and SmackDown, I mean, the question becomes: Do people want wrestling? And I believe the answer is, is yes. I believe people want wrestling now. I, I don't, like the storylines drive the, the the numbers, but the ratings have sucked lately. So yeah. I think slight people, uptick lately. A slight uptick lately, but but not where they should be. Not, so no. it's like, is it character driven or is it wrestling driven? Right? Mm-hmm. It's like when Brock Lesnar shows up or when certain talent shows up, the numbers go up. But are people tuning in for great matches? And WWE has kind of ruined that because people aren't tuning in for great matches anymore because they're inundated with so much wrestling that they're just like, fuck, man, it's five hours. And that's why people are tuning out during the last hour or they pop in during the second hour or they're TiVoing it. Now you're adding another two-hour show to it, one that we've all loved. But, man, I just got to be honest, NXT TV has just not been good. And I don't know how that affects TakeOver moving forward because – Again, I think it's the same. I mean, it's it's on the network. Maybe you got to add two matches to take over to make it a legit three hour show. But um, but that's that's where it gets dangerous. Less has always been more with NXT. Yeah. And 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 I and it's I, look, don't get me wrong. I have the same concern with AEW. Mm-hmm. Less less is more. And if you can pocket everything into one hour and give it to me weekly, where I need more because I don't need to see the same faces every week. And I think that's why the you know this fake ass wild card rule that sucks because I start seeing too many of the same faces again. Yeah, that that's where NXT they became a darling because you didn't see them every week. You got them for an hour, you wanted more. But now we're giving you so much. I don't know if I'm gonna want anymore. I hope I do. Just prove me wrong. And that's all I keep saying about the WWE. Yeah. Prove me wrong. That's because it. I don't have a lot of faith in you right now. And uh, with NXT, the good thing is their roster is stacked. So if this means more Keith Lee, more Donovan Dijak. More, um, what the hell is his name? Damian Priest now. More ACH. More, uh, just, I mean, that talent goes so deep. That shit can't, it's not a developmental anymore, I tell you that much. If you can't cut no. it, yeah, it ain't going to be on TV. Uh, that's, that's the other issue. Like, I mean, people want to say what they want about Evolve, but the, Evolve's about to get the shit end of the stick. I mean. Because they're, they're going to be flooded with these people who should be developmental. Because you can't put them on TV anymore. You can't. Like, Especially a NXT, live product? No, you can't fuck up. Nope. NXT hasn't been developmental in like four years. Once they start, started signing all the indie darlings, it became, they basically became the ultra ROH is what they became. But we've seen the Aaliyahs. We've seen the Mansours. We see, I don't, I don't know if they're cutting it. 
They're not. I mean, come on, let's be honest. I mean, they're, they're not. So it's like, where do they develop their skills? They're probably going to have to go to Evolve or maybe, I don't know, do you bring back FCW? I don't know what you do. But then the, the next thing is, what ends up in NXT's place? Because, yes, yeah, you're subscribed to the network, you're watching these pay-per-views, and, you know, you're watching uh, NXT Weekly, maybe. I don't watch NXT UK. I just don't have the fucking bandwidth for it. Same with 205 Live. I just don't have the bandwidth for it. Yeah. You're just adding more wrestling to my weekly slate. I Dog, I don't need any more. Like, the original programming is great on the network, but, man, it's this is a lot, man. It pays for itself in pay-per-views anyway. Let's just be real. Network pays for itself in pay-per-views. Every now and then, you get these original content things. Uh, you get the library, which they add stuff to all the time. So if you just feel like taking... A nostalgic walk down memory lane, you can. Um, well worth the $10 there, uh, unless the price points go up. But um, without NXT, I'm not sure how much they can move the price again. So, I mean, the $10 is there, $9.99. NXT UK has to step into that slot. And I'm hoping, selfishly, for a bigger role for 205 Live. So um, There is no more room for 205 Live. That's it. They're done. There's no more room. Well, they have to figure it out now, because... People are talking a lot about um, kind of, you know, will 205 Live end? And it might because those guys might go to NXT. And it's a lot of young guys now. So a lot of talent went up and then people still left there. Like Gallagher can go to the UK. Um, the Cruisers can be a segment of NXT. Or you can just f fuse them in. But you can have a normalized Cruiserweight champion and have Gulak feud with Kushida in NXT, right? Like, WCW mixed that back in the day. You can make that one and just blend these guys in um, and have them compete for North American title, Cruiserweight title, and go back and forth. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and I think that's where they have to go because there's no more tapings on Tuesdays. Like, there's no more SmackDowns on Tuesdays in a month. So, 205 Live, as it's currently constructed, is impossible. You either got to record after Raw which is already three hours. Or you have to make 205 Live, go back to Wednesdays, and record after NXT, which you might as well merge them. Uh, you know what? I'm, not, I'm honestly not mad at that. Because um, there's no Tuesday programming. Because Fox is getting it on Fridays. So 205 yeah. Live, its spot is gone. So they have to evolve somewhere. Listen, I'm not, I'm not mad at that. 205 Live being part of NXT would actually make a ton of sense, to be honest with you, because the quality match of the matches are there. It just needs to be put into something where I'm going to actually watch the shit. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, there's also one little lingering thing that is just WWE-wide. They need to get rid of some of these fucking belts. I think that's, that's yeah. an issue that's been kind of it, like holding down the product is that titles don't necessarily mean much anymore because nah. even we didn't even like, see knock for like a month i forgot he was ic champion yeah like knock shows up on smackdown like yo I'm, i oh that was that disgusted me as well to have sammy zane as your mouthpiece come on we don't need that shit no i think it might i mean once again mm -hmm. let it play out if this leads to sammy zane face turn which he probably needs again against a heel knock I, i'm okay with it let's let it I play out though I think this is one of those things that WWE is throwing at the wall, hoping that it sticks, and if it doesn't, they'll ditch it in like two weeks. Oh, I hate but, that. But if it leads to those two together, which would be quality matches, and Sami Zayn needs a reboot bigger than anything, I'll be okay. Yeah, we'll see. I don't have any confidence, but the point is, is that there's just too many <laughs> fucking titles. Yeah. Like, like if, I, if when I turn on NXT television, like, and if they were to fold 205 Live, now you have the Cruiserweight title, the North American title, the NXT title, the women's title, and the tag title. That's five titles.
on a one, two hour show. Yeah. Then you go to Raw and you got the 24 7 title, the Universal title, the which, which title they got? The United West, States title, yeah. the tag titles, and you got the women's tag titles that never get defended. Why do we have so many fucking titles? They've been defended twice, past two weeks. But, dog, they weren't even seen on TV in for, months. For I mean, they're being defended now. I'm just giving them some credit. <laughs> like, I'm just letting you know. I'm just saying, like, in order for, like, there to be something that means something, you have to make the titles mean something. They have to go back to some sort of brand split when they split between Fox At, and USA. Absolutely. Like, that would make the the craziness with these belts feel okay. But when I see the New Day on Raw and the Universal Championship, oh, there's too much. There's too many titles. It's too so much. Get, we need to get rid of some of these titles. I've always said the same thing. I feel like the champion should float between the brands. Like, I feel like if you're the WWE, if whatever title you want to make it, and I think you should get rid of the universal title and just make it the WWE title because there's so much prestige behind it, but that champion should be challenged on both brands. He's Agreed. the only person who should be allowed to appear on either brand. Yep. Women's champion, WWE champion, um, tag team champions maybe? Yeah, I mean, the tag team champions, like those champions should be able to float. Then, uh, you know, I miss the TV champion. I... I, I Personally, I yeah. like the TV champion was a guy who showed out on television. I like yeah. that. But if you the say I, the IC championship is on one brand, United States on the other, cool, make those exclusive. Yeah, I mean, that's, I guess that's okay. Um, but yeah, it's just too many titles. So there's some things to fix. I'm not, again, I'm not entirely mad at this NXT on TV deal. I just don't have a lot of faith in it. I will let it play out. Yeah. And and it's not about what happens the first three weeks. It happens three months later. I need to see what the yeah. product is doing. And let's not get it twisted. This puts pressure on AEW. Like, AEW had, had no pressure on Wednesdays, right? That, they went to Wednesdays, and they had no one to compete with. No one was going to take their ratings. They had a, a very unique take on wrestling in, in terms of national television. Not to us necessarily, but their style was very unique to national television, and they weren't competing with the WWE on Wednesdays. Now they have competition. So yeah. now this might take a chunk out of the ratings they thought they were going to see. And if the WWE steals 20% of the people watching, I think they're happy. Or this thing backfires and blows up in the WWE's face where they have too many shows and people are just like, ah, I can't do this. It's very possible. It might drop the ratings on everything <laughs> because yeah. you, you're so spread thin and burnt out. But that's, listen, competition is either going to make you better or that's just going to cripple you. So, and, so we'll see. You know, and the other thing is this is not like the Monday Night Wars because the Monday Night Wars, you were actually forced to make a choice. With DVR, you're not. With, and I, I wonder how much viewership NXT is going to have on Thursday night on the network because they're going to rerun that replay on Thursday. Oh, are they? Yeah, so it makes you wonder. It's like, okay, I can watch Oh, I'm not AW. watching it live then. Yeah, like, that's what, what I'm saying. So it's like... I thought it was going to be like a month back, like Hulu. Nah, I think it's going to be immediately after. Or, or like the network is now. It's a month back. So when it comes to competition, this ain't the Monday Night Wars. I don't have to make a choice. I don't watch Raw the, the night it happens. That's impossible. There's no way I can sit around and watch three hours of Raw. I've watched that shit on Hulu where I fast forward through it. So with, with AEW and, and NXT kind of, being the, kind of being alluring to the same type of fan, that kind of means you're going to just watch both. Right. The only person who really suffers is Raw or SmackDown, because if I'm watching NXT, maybe I'm not watching one of those shows because I'm watching NXT and I'm watching AEW. Just one will come after the other. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, I'm if I can watch on a network. I, yeah, there is no competition because I'm just not watching it a lot. I don't know how the hell you get to AEW again if you don't DVR it. 
it's, it's a lot. There's man. no replay, right? Like, so it kind of forces you to watch AEW. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not sure how that shit works. Like, I can always watch NXT on the USA Network if it's not on the network. Like, you know, I there's ways to watch it if it's on USA. Um, it might be on Hulu. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's a good question. But we'll see. We'll see what it does. We only got a month to wait to see how that shakes out. Um, it's a long show today, but we got into a lot of topics. Next week, uh, you guys will be hearing that full compilation of shows with uh, my boys from Views from the 7, talking about the Kaepernick stuff and all that. It's Patreon exclusive for this week. Next week, it'll be put together and put on SoundCloud, um, so you guys can listen to that as well. And I'm assuming I'll probably just get the audio and drop our Wrestling with Stereotypes 2 show next week as our normal show. So we might have a week break, a quick hiatus while we are in Chicago for AEW Weekend and StarCast Weekend. So uh, if you guys are in town, though, hit us up. We appreciate the support. Tons of content coming to Patreon. Like I said, there'll probably be, what, five shows and a few videos from uh, us setting up our show this week in Chicago at StarCast. So make sure you guys subscribe to the Patreon, The Corner Podcast. Follow us on social media, at The Corner LSN on everything. Me at Kel Dansby, him at Andreas Hale. We appreciate you guys. It's going to be a wild week, but uh, all this is possible thanks to you. So thank you. Till next time, though, we're out. Peace. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late, and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, and our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com slash Keepstock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.